Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. A lot, a lot. You're excited? Feel these nipples. Are you sure this is legal? I don't know. It's fun though, isn't it? Gangsters, what's up, guys? That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. Those goofy bastards are just about the best thing I've got going in this crazy world. Woo! I'm the man. Woo! You better lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. What's up, Kentucky? And welcome to another exciting edition of Triple Threat Talk. Jimmy Biggers with you alongside my Thunder buddy. Gary Lockard, Gary, how we doing tonight, buddy? I'm uh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm just uh, I'm just very excited that we were able to survive Cougar Fest 2015. Wow, yeah. I know, right? Right. That I was, mean, Tre- Trevor would have been in heaven. Oh yeah, Trevor, Trevor, you'd have been blessed. You 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 would have been very happy. I roll up to the theater last night. We go to go see Ted too, and all you see is flocks of middle aged women in packs i'm talking packs of women well now the phoenix hills closed they gotta go somewhere <laughs> <laughs> they they travel in herds they they do travel in herds <laughs> <laughs> they uh of course uh they were all there for not the movie we saw but magic mike so yeah yeah it is what it is you know i mean I, you know you know whatever gets them excited i'm just you know for a second i thought that we might have been on cougar watch like I thought like the zoo was going to issue like some sort of some sort of warning saying that the cougars got out of their cages. Really? Right. No, I mean th- it, we, was, it was crickets? a serious issue. <laughs> no, crickets. No, we, Both of you have nothing to worry about. You're too old for cougars anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, good show for you guys tonight. We're going to be talking a little uh, World Cup here in a bit. Uh, talking a little return of Kyle Busch uh, in victory lane, that is. Uh, we got a special guest stopping by around the 840 uh, segment. Doc. That's right. Uh, Mr. Lloyd Gardner is going to be on with us to uh, to tell us about his uh, new book, The Kentucky Colonels. Absolutely. And then uh, in the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to talk a little John Calipari. Uh, where is he at this week or where is he supposed to be at this week? You know, I it, we're going to get into it, but it's like it's like nothing I've ever seen before around here. Like in, in the off season, right. you're sitting there like um, – is there anything else to talk about except for John Calipari is going to be leaving Kentucky? I, I don't think I, so. Not I, around here. I know. It, it's it's truly amazing that people make a story out of what's not really a story, but somehow it happens. The only other thing I could think of could be is which girl is on Bobby Petrino's motorcycle. <laughs> that could be possible, right? Is that possible? That could be. Is that is that possible? Yeah, okay. very possible. Uh, we'll also be talking a little NBA free agency and uh, Doc, how would you like to make six point two million dollars a minute? Hey, sign me up. <laughs> we'll talk sign about that. We'll talk about that as well. All that and your phone calls on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram Buzz line at three eight four fourteen fifty. You can tweet the show at Triple Threat Talk One T in between the threat and the talk, and you can get at us on email Triple Threat Talk Eleven at Gmail dot com. And you know, I, I was in the Kroger over at Goss Avenue, and like I said, the the manager over there knows me. 
So uh, he asked me what we had on the show for tonight, and I told him. He's like, well, here, give a $25 gift card out to one lucky caller and just simply pop out that, you know, they're hiring over there. They're hiring night crew. They're hiring uh, They're hiring front end. They're hiring produce. They're hiring meat department. The, the, whole, the whole store is hiring. So if you are looking for a job, maybe you're looking for a part-time job, maybe you just want to... Maybe you just want to bring in a little extra cash, 10, 15 hours a week. Stop by the, the good folks over at uh, Kroger at Goss Avenue, and they're going to they're gonna get you settled. And it's a great place to work. Every time I walk in there, everybody's smiling. You know, it really looks like one of those kind of places where people enjoy their jobs, as if it were possible, but it, it, it does seem to hit you. You know, it's the atmosphere of the place. Absolutely. We also have uh, snack size, free snack size from our friends at Buffalo Wild Wings in Clarksville. Uh, Winston and the management staff hooked us up again with some more of those. Uh, so we'll be giving a couple of those away to some lucky callers as well. So let's get right into it, Doc. Uh, women's World Cup action. Semi-final action last night. The U.S. women knocking off uh, Germany 2-0 off what has to be, or I should say who is, probably the women of the tournament, the player of the tournament, the MVP right now, Carly Lloyd, a three-game goal streak as she leads the women to a 2-0 victory over Germany uh, to make the finals of the World Cup. Yeah, um, it's really interesting because the United States switched up from a 4-4-2 to a 4-2-3-1 scheme on the field, and I think it's really working wonders. It's to help spread the field, get some coverage into some places where there might be a couple holes going on with the defense. So they're they're doing a really good job of spreading of spreading the pitch, really. And it's one of those things when you look at it, Going into this tournament, people thought the United States women actually had a fantastic chance of winning this tournament, but what they weren't so sure of was the scheme because it's it was kind of a, a vanilla scheme. You know, it, it is kind of, when it comes down to it, if it's not broke, don't fix it, and if it's winning, who cares if it's stylish or not? And, and that's the kind of situation the ladies found themselves in. They they have the a great offensive scheme of course like you said Carly Lloyd three game uh, score scre- score streak here uh try to say that five times fast and then Kelly O'Hara also at the 84 minute mark was able to strike in a goal as well but it really does show that this team has really found some ways to pop out because you know people were talking about how it was possible for right. them for them to win this but people didn't see it really happening because I, because I, because of how vanilla their scheme was and I, and I think going into that to that point I know a lot of the talk that I heard uh, leading into the Germany game was that they were definitely the underdog in this situation the, the US women was definitely the underdog and that could they could they withstand the attack of the Germans because uh, they're a very good defensive team. Uh, they were looking to do something that not many people have done. I don't know if anybody has done, and that is win the Men's World Cup and the Women's World Cup back-to-back. So that would have been a very impressive feat for that country. And our ladies performed to the best of ability. They they played awesome. Like I said, 2-0, to nil, uh, amazing. Carly Lloyd, you know, another goal, three games. She's the third uh, woman uh, for that have played for the U.S. Women's National Team to have a three straight goals uh, series, and it's it really is fantastic to watch this because you know as we as we're watching right now, Japan and England are on the score is one one. You know, 
a guaranteed shot in the semis. I mean, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the lady. Uh, as I said it a couple weeks ago, you know, a couple a couple decades ago, this was unheard of for the American teams. You know, in the World Cup, you know, like people, the Americans in a in a in a World Cup final. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, they give that haughty kind of laugh, like it would never happen. But now, it seems like the last couple World Cups, especially on both the men and the women's side, the United States is up and coming. And we're getting a little bit of respect. And, you know, you make it to the semifinals of a grueling World Cup, you know, especially Japan's playing right now. They've won all five of their games so far. Right. That's, that's almost unheard of to, to go undefeated. And, you know, England, all th- three of the final four had won this before, and England has made finals appearances before. But another funny thing about the England-Japan game is that England is unbeaten against Japan. So this is an interesting matchup going on right now in a, in so, a lot of different aspects. So so that brings me to this question to you. Uh, as one who watches soccer way more than I do. Uh, way more than a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> you, you follow it a little more closely. If, if you were Team USA watching this game, knowing what you know about either team, which would be the better matchup for the United States, Japan or England? I'm... I'm saying the match that you want is England. And that's because, like I said, Japan has won all five of their games. Um, they, they've scored a wealth of goals, too. I mean, each game they've won, they've won by one goal, but all of their goals have been scored by seven different people. so Or seven different ladies, I should say. And when you when you look at that kind of a stat, you know, undefeated and spreading the wealth of the ball – that means they do a very good job dribbling. They do a very good job of getting help, assisting. That's the team you don't want to mess with. And if if you're America right now, you're think you're looking at England. You're like, you know, England's got a pretty good record against Japan, three and zero. So you're hoping that that streak continues if they go to four and zero because England's a very good team. But I think they're a lot more beatable than than this team. But right now, Japan, looking at the odds online, they are eighty percent favored to win this matchup. But right now, it's a tie ball game, so you don't know what's going to go, and we're certainly going to keep everyone updated on that as the night progresses. Absolutely. So in saying that, Doc, uh, you talked a little bit earlier about how they switched from the 4-4-2 alignment to the 4-2-3-1 alignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and explaining that to me or someone who's maybe a casual or, or fairly new fan to soccer – what exactly would that do, in a sense? Is that like... Uh, what they're doing and, and is they're backing I, what, up the goalie. Okay, so what I was going to ask, is that like changing a defensive formation in football? Not Are we talking like maybe running a nickel, but not a nickel, they're going to run the dime instead? When, it's it's more it's more kind of like basketball. When you're running a 2-3, instead of, you can also run a 2-1-2. Two, two. Right. So you're adding an extra line there. So you've got, you've got an extra backing. And this particular one, you can... Generally, you put it... You you put the lady or the guy, whoever's playing in this case, the lady, mm-hmm. near the goalie to kind of back up the goalie, or you can take the one and kind of back up your back up your strikers in your midfield. Gotcha, gotcha. So you can when they're doing this, they've got they're just saying you got one other person on the front or the tail end that you can place in, usually okay. on the tail end. Okay, usually. So not all the time, but usually. All right, cool. Uh, say, like, kind of shed some light. I know there's some people at home that might be listening in. What the kind of numbers is he tossing <laughs> out? You know, they're wondering what's the doc talking about. He's speaking Greek to me. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, definitely good stuff there. Uh, as you said, winning, winning, winning yesterday against the Germany 
two to zero, and as the doc alluded to, one to one right now between Japan and England. Trevor, I want to bring you in on this one. Uh, what did you think of the the women picking up the win yesterday? Were you surprised at how they were to able to hold Germany scoreless? And are you happy to see him there? And of course, we all want to see him win. It's the American team. But what was your takeaway? Uh, I, I wouldn't. Be, I'd be lying if I said I can break it down like uh, Doc has because I don't watch soccer as much. I'm a novice fan in it, but I knew that it was going to be a tough matchup. I mean, you're talking about two of the probably three or four best teams in, in the world in Japan. Or I'm sorry, Japan being one of the best reigning World Cup champion, but women's World Cup champion. But I, I was I thought they had a good chance of beating Germany. I mean, America's one of the more better overall teams, and and since the World Cup went into a women's division in 1991, have been right there with Germany and Japan is probably, I mean, it's hard to almost call them 1A, B, and C in terms of the powers of women's soccer. I mean, each of them have multiple championships, and America's now looking to be the, now looking at their first time ever in back-to-back finals. Uh, Germany won back-to-back before Japan won it in 2011. So Germany's had their two championships in their back-to-backs. And if, if, if I have a preference on who I'd like to play, I, I – I, I can't break it down by by strategy because I don't know anything about England. So I'm sure, if anything, I'm sure they're probably the ugliest of all the teams remaining. <laughs> I would be willing to bet they're running uh, a four-two-three right now. Yeah, and that's just uh, the amount of teeth they have in their top row of their mouth. <laughs> uh, that's I would say in Japan. I would I would want to say I'd really play England because I would think they'd be the lesser in terms of hard opponent for America. But on, on the other hand, I'd almost like to. I'd rather almost maybe like to get a piece of Japan. I mean, they not they beat America in 2011 in the last World Women's World Cup. Uh, went to sh- a shootout in which they dominated three to one. So, I, I think I, I'd rather have a revenge match against Japan if I had to pick. But just for that reason, I'm sure Japan's obviously a tougher opponent, and someone who knows watches soccer more than I do could probably break it down a little better. But from a novice standpoint, that's what I would look at right now. Just to give you a little bit of heads up, uh, with the four percent. With the four teams right now, Japan, even though this match is still going on, they have an 18% chance to win the World Cup is what they're being measured at. So not quite an even money favorite, which you would think with four teams, because that was measured on the final four. Mm-hmm. So they had an 18% chance. Um, England lower than that. So you had, obviously, Germany was the overwhelming favorite, and then the United States. So. so it was almost like our women's pulled a 1980s men's hockey team. Yeah. Close. Not quite, but close. Yeah. Who, who did they beat in the gold game? Do what? You mentioned you referred to it as the 80s team. Oh, beat, Finland. Yeah, because they beat Russia in the semifinals. Yeah, a lot people of people don't realize that. that. Yeah. They right. think Russia was the gold medal game. They don't realize that Finland mm-hmm. uh, was the actual gold medal game in that. Somebody yeah. watched Miracle with Kurt Russell. Uh, that is actually, that's actually a good movie. And and now that you mentioned that funny story, before I played my rec league championship game with, and uh, when I played ice hockey a couple years ago, I actually watched the pump up scene from the movie Miracle when he's talking to it. it's like it's your time, you know they may beat us nine times out of ten, uh, so I so I used the uh, Miracle, <laughs> you know pump up speech to get me rubbed up for the uh, rec league hockey championship. Herb Brooks, I believe, is the character's name. Yes, Herb Brooks, Herb, the coach's fact, name. Yeah. Uh, who unfortunately was a part of the production of that movie, but he, he died in a car crash, an untimely car crash, while the movie was being uh, produced. So he never got to see the full finished product. But as the movie clearly stated at the end, 
he got to live it. So I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, never actually set to that movie. It was one of the movies I while in college I didn't have cable. I bought it on DVD for like five bucks at the Walmart around the corner. Uh-huh. And I, ne- I don't think I ever even opened it. It I've is. Never seen, it, I mean, granted, I, even how good it is, I can, it's never going to be better than Mighty Ducks. No, I mean, my, nothing, my, nothing ever. Mighty will be Ducks on. is phenomenal. I and, mean, I, and I always liked Mystery Alaska with uh, Russell Crowe. That's a good one. A lot of people don't know about that one. That's that is a good one. But uh, that's the few and far between uh, hockey movies, other than Slapshot, which is a classic. Fly, flying V. That's right. Nothing like the Flying they're, V. They're setting up for the Flying V. I oh mean, I'm sure it's at least better than the second Mighty Ducks movie. Oh, I mean, what isn't? Yeah. I mean, the third one. <laughs> that's when there even a fourth one. No. No, no, and you know no, you were talking about you were talking about sequels in the in the parking lot before the show, and how sometimes sequels can be kind of like watered down, and not as good as the first. That's one of those like you knew the outcome every movie, but you still watched. Well, the sequels the D two wasn't as good as the first one. Though. Well, well, no, good. but what I'm saying is, you were, we were talking about how sequels sometimes are nowhere near as good as the first one, and yeah. we were talking about how we thought Ted two lived up to the hype. It was pretty good. It was pretty funny. And I'm saying with with the Mighty Ducks movies, you know, yeah, the second one and the third one weren't as good as the first one, but you kind of knew what was already going to happen, but you still watched anyway because you liked it. Well, you you knew what was going to happen in the first one. I mean, you you didn't really think the Hawks were going to win, did you? I mean, come on. This is like Karate Kid and How I Met Your Mother. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is looking at it from the villain's point of view. Yeah, I mean, Karate Kid from New Jersey, you know. I mean, and, and the only movie I can think of, kids' movie, and uh, that I can think of that actually does have a somewhat sour ending was uh, a baseball movie called, uh, uh, was it called um, Little Big League? I remember where that. Where the kid inherits the Minnesota Twins from his grandfather, mm-hmm. and uh, he they're one like one home run away. The, of course, the cheesy line where like the first baseman's trying to date his mom or something. Who knows? And, and he's uh, he says that he goes, if you hit a home run, you can ask her to marry him, and he. He nails it a home run to win the game, but instead Griffey leans over, jumps over the fence and steals it, and they lose the game. <laughs> so I mean, it was, it was one of those times I remember as a kid thinking, not, "But the movie's kind of corny in itself. It's not as good as Sandlot, but it's still not bad." I remember thinking, at least it ended that way. I mean, how how many times have we seen a movie not end with the villain, or at least the 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 hero, the antagonist, the, not, the antagonist winning? But I wouldn't. I didn't want to call Griffey an antagonist in this situation. He was just doing his job. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but, I mean. Yeah. You know, you know, people makes, do go see movies that they know how the end goes, though. I mean, I mean look at Titanic. Yeah, the second I mean, most I mean, highest grossing film of all spoiler. time. And we all knew the ship <laughs> yeah. was going to sink. If you sat through that movie and you were like, you know, because people, Hollywood does Hollywood it up a little bit. But right. if, you, if you expected that ship not to go down, I mean, I, I'm sorry. You fail at life. But that's what makes The uh, Empire Strikes Back so great. I mean, it ends on a dark note. Luke well, gets his hand cut off. It's a true they, trilogy, though. Uh, Solo stuck in, you know. The second and, part of any of any movie franchise, of any movie trilogy, is like the sour point. But we didn't even know there was going to be a trilogy at the time, oh, really. That's true. I yeah, mean, exactly. we're talking 1970, or 1980, I guess, when Empire came out. That's true. 77 for the original. I mean, you don't know how much of it, you know, Empire, how much it's going to really get. But now the third one they knew was coming out, and. They actually, I'll, I'll give you a little trivia question, Star Wars trivia question. What was the name of the movie that they claimed were filming when they were actually filming Return of the Jedi? Revenge of the Jedi. Well, they when they filmed it to avoid people from spying on the set and getting spoilers, and this is in 1983, which oh, nowadays would be impossible. Was what, it American Graffiti? No, that was an actual movie that... Uh, that is, an actual, that is movie. an actual movie, but, but I thought that's Ford, where they yeah. said... Were, were, no, it was were, called Blue Harvest. Oh. Which is uh, if you're a Family Guy, the fan, Family Guy movie. That was what that references. They when they were filming Return of the oh. Jedi, they the Spielberg claimed he was filming a movie called Blue Harvest, 
so people wouldn't spy on it knowing that he was doing Return of the Jedi. The things you learn. So you learn on this show as you well. You learn on this show. Move on. Knowledge speak, is power. Speaking of learning, we're going to go to a quick break. But on the other side, we're going to be talking a little bit of NASCAR. Uh, we, we got we had a I'll triumph. turn my mic off. We had a triumphant return. Stop uh, it. We, we invite you all to line up your phone calls, too, on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram buzz line, 502-384-1450. We, uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Looking forward to talking a little NASCAR. Coming up after the break, keep it locked. Triple Threat Talk. Yeah, a little little rowdy rowdy bush action here on Triple Threat Talk. I don't, I don't know what that was. That was uh, was that just noise? No, that was rowdy bush. Was that you cranky kids throwing up your noise in your headphones and that your was, headsets? That was, that was some good stuff right there. You darn kids, get out of my yard! <laughs> I once rented a movie called Rowdy Bush. Not anything like that song. I'll tell you that. Wow, right now. wow. And really? that tells us all we need to know about Trevor. That's it. That's all. That's exactly. Friday's the spice of life, friends. Absolutely. So, uh, as the music eloquently alluded to this past weekend at Sonoma, at the Sonoma Cal- uh, Raceway in California, Kyle Busch, after missing the first 11 races of the season due to uh, a broken leg and a broken foot, returns victorious to win at one of the most challenging Tracks on the course, an 11-turn road course, picking up the win in the Toyota Save Mart 350. Uh, Kyle now, with that win, has completed one of two steps uh, to try to make the chase for the Sprint Cup Series. By winning this race, he is now 136 points out of the lead. I knew Uh, that. You did know that. You did know that. I was kind of shocked, but you know it. You did know that. Uh, he has 10 more races to make up this deficit, so he has to be in the top 30 in points, and he has to have a win in order to make the chase. He missed the first 11 races due to the injury. Uh, NASCAR gave him a medical waiver uh, because uh, at Daytona, where his incident happened back on February 21st in the Xfinity Series race, which I was in attendance for, he you know, he had this accident where he hit the wall. There was no safer barriers. So he hit dead on concrete at top speeds and, like I said, broke his leg and broke his foot, his other foot on the other leg. So to come back from this injury that fast was crazy enough. I mean, that was amazing to, to do that in, in that short length of time because if you remember a couple of years ago, Tony Stewart broke his leg in a sprint car accident and he was out a lot longer. Now you can attribute that to attribute that to a couple things. Kyle's a little younger. Uh so you know injuries probably can be healed a little faster uh than than Smoke's injury because he's a little younger. And an, one thing that that hampered Tony's injury over Kyle's injury. Tony's injury happened on a dirt track. So a lot of that dirt got in his wound, caused infection, stuff like that. Kyle was luckily, you know, he was on asphalt, so his injury not as bad, but still pretty bad. And, and to come back from that was absolutely amazing. And then to come back just in this short order, because we, we heard him talking 
saying, you know, he may be back at Daytona. He may be back. He may be out the rest of the year. You know, nobody knew. Now, not only has he came back before Daytona, he's already got a win under his belt before Daytona. And um, with this win, like you said, he's 136 points out of the uh, out of the uh, top 30. So he needs to get a, gain 136 points in the final 10 races. There's 10 races to go before the chase cutoff. And then with that win, he's already halfway there. So it's it's going to be interesting to see going forward. Uh, does he win again in these last ten? Uh, you know, I'm, I have a feeling he might. I won't be shocked. He he's he's a very driven young man. He even said uh, the one thing that drove him back to the track faster than anything was seeing those guys hoisting the trophies. He he wants to see. You know, he wanted to hoist to hoist the trophy. He missed that, and it was an awesome win for Kyle Busch and for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, good for him personally, uh, you know, being being a n- newly found father. You know, he just had a son here a couple weeks ago, so on top of all of that, a lot going on in his personal life. It was just great to see, and I know within the NASCAR community, it was a very popular victory. Yeah, you know, when Kyle broke his leg, you know, people thought that he might be gone for a long time, but to to come back in such a short time and then win you know, and then all of a sudden people are talking about him having a really legitimate chance of at least being in the chase, being being put in there. And, you know, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to NASCAR, but, you know, I've told you before, I've told my dad, I've told, you know, people that watch NASCAR that I like Kyle Busch. I like his attitude. I like the fact that he that he's pretty candid. You know, you talk to him, he's going to speak your mind. I like that. You know, people, people like, that's why I like Johnny Manziel, because... When you talk to Johnny Manziel, he might be a terrible football player, but he's going to tell you what he's thinking. And I don't, I don't like listening to interviews where people are like, "Well, we had a really good opponent today. You know, opponent played hard, we played hard, and you know, it's like a thirty-seven to zero victory." So you, you know? don't want, you don't want like the Jimmy Johnson vanilla. Interview. Exactly. I don't want, I don't like vanilla things. I right. like vanilla ice cream, but I don't like vanilla things. You know, I don't, right. I don't like vanilla people. When when. Not in sports, at least. Uh, not in anything. I, yeah. I want someone to speak their mind. And Kyle Busch does that. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, there's been several times where he's been like, "That driver's terrible," or you know, uh, what, what, what was that guy thinking? Or that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know, you, Kyle you, Busch says that. You, you should hear some of his radio oh. transmission. Oh yeah, it's it's laced with nice four letter <laughs> words. And that's one of the other things that I. The only thing I remember recalling liking about Billy Gillespie was his non-vanilla answers. Like with Aaron Andrews, with the night Jody Meeks went off for like 60 bazillion points against Tennessee, he said, you know, he said, so how are you thinking about Jody Meeks in the basketball game? And Billy Gillespie said, first of all, this is not the University of Jody Meeks. This is the University of Kentucky. <laughs> and that's really, that. a stupid, yeah. that's really a stupid question. Exactly. I yeah. died. I thought that was hilarious. It was good. Um, yeah. And, and you know, be, you know, it, it garnered national attention. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I like that. I, well, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool. But you know, I, so I like, I'm a fan of Kyle Busch, mm-hmm. and I, I to see him come back in this and see him be relevant, you know, possibly be relevant mm-hmm. going into the chase. Well, he never was not relevant. Right, he was always relevant. Right, he's always been relevant. But the fact he could be relevant going into this chase, which we thought that, which we thought he might not be. Right, right. I I thought it was fantastic, and I. 
it's I'm still probably not going to watch NASCAR a whole lot, but I'm definitely going to be reading and paying more attention now that Kyle Busch is back in the fray, so to speak. Yeah, he, you know, winning winning this past weekend was definitely big for him. Uh, one thing you got to think about, too, is they, they returned to the scene of his accident this weekend uh, for July 4th weekend at Daytona. Uh, they have since replaced that with safer barriers, so the spot where he hit, uh, you know, the whole track, they've added safer barriers. They've added, um, in fact, the next day for the Sprint Cup race, uh, because this incident happened during the Xfinity Series race, they brought in a bunch of tire packs, you know, to temporary take care of that wall there where it's not a straight on hit with the concrete wall. So they acted very quickly. They realized it was a mistake. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons why NASCAR granted him that medical waiver. And one thing you got to take into account is he missed 11 races. Okay. So when they, when he came back from those 11 races and NASCAR told him, okay, if you make the top 30 and you win a race, you're allowed to be in the chase he started with zero points. He got no points because David Reagan was in his car. He got no points because Matt Crafton drove it at Daytona. He was at zero, point blank. So he's gained all this much in less time it took for these other guys to earn this amount of points in 11 races shorter. I've got two questions for you. All right. The first one kind of goes back to the adding the barriers, and it's out of necessity. Mm-hmm. But is it? Do you think it's more of a credit or more of a or more of a knee jerk reaction every time something happens like this? NASCAR is very very fast to try to figure out a fix, and I know it's almost out of necessity because you've got cars going two hundred miles an hour, right? And people can die. Absolutely. But you know, do you? How how do you how do they go about planning that so quickly? Because it's like something happens, mm-hmm. and like a day later, they've got a fix for it. So, like, the, their safety regulation committee is on the ball. Yeah, uh, I tell, I'll, I'll say this uh, as a longtime NASCAR fan, watching years I have, the biggest thing that brought about all kinds of safety was the day Dale Earnhardt Sr. passed away. Uh, back in February of 2001, when he had the wreck at Daytona. He died, unfortunately, in that crash. Safety became numero uno. That was at the top of the list. It's sad that it took the biggest star in the sport to die for safety to take numero uno. But unfortunately, that's what it was. I can I can tell you that from from experience, from watching it. You know, because if you look back from even the late nineties, like some of these guys, all they wore were like goggles and an open face helmet. You can't do that anymore. Hell, in the 60s, it, some of these guys didn't even wear helmets. They wore like the leather old football helmets looking like. And they're wearing no gloves. They're barehanded. And they, they're using steering wheels the size of a cruise ship steering wheel. And, and it's just amazing to see the technology from then to now. And to your, to, as far as today goes, you know, with the now, if NASCAR sees something, they like to fix it. They, they don't like a problem to turn into a bigger problem. They want it fixed immediately. They don't let stuff linger. And I, I think they do a great job. The sanctioning body does an excellent job. They knew they messed up. Uh, the president of Daytona, Joey Chitwood, come out and said, I messed up. I should have, you know, we're investing all this money in renovations and parking 
and new grandstands and scoreboards. What we should be worried about, first and foremost, is driver safety. And I lapsed on that. And he he publicly apologized. He you know he stood up in in front of the world and said you know it's my fault. I take blame. I'm responsible. And they fixed it. And I I think that's one thing that NASCAR does that a lot of sports do not do is they they fix things when they need to fix them. They don't wait till it's too late. And my second question is going into the break here. Um, how good of a chance does Kyle Busch have to? You know, participate in the chase. Do you think he's got a reasonable shot? He's got a great chance. And, you know, 136 points out of the top 30, 10 races to go. If there was one driver that you gave me in this situation other than mine, uh, could he do it? I'm I'm taking Kyle Busch. Dale Jr.'s not doing it. Jeff Gordon's not doing it. Jimmy Johnson's not doing it. But by God, Kyle Busch is doing it. He's got the drive. He's got he's got what it takes, and I think he's going to do it. I think Kyle Busch is going to make this chase, and he's going to make a believer out of everybody once this thing's over. And I can't wait to see it, frankly, because it's going to be just like Ray Tona said in the in the song. It'll definitely be the Kyle Busch show, and I'll be tuned in to watch for the next couple weeks. Well, all right, um, guys, we got Lloyd Gardner coming up after the break, so stay tuned. You do not want to you do not want to touch that dial. We got Lloyd Gardner. Uh, one of the premier basketball historians in the state and probably even the country, talking about his new book, The Kentucky Colonels. So stay tuned after the break. Triple Threat Talk. 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. We'll be right back. That's Jones. Way short. Back to Gilmore. Throws it up and misses. Rebound again. Izzo's got it. Puts it back up and missed it again. Tapped up and in by Gilmore. Times that we've seen him of late. McGinnis missing. Rebound Elmore. Lenny faking. Back up. Blocked away. And we got a foul on Gilmore again. Again to McGinnis. As we're listening to the sounds of the Pacers anywhere. game from the ABA Finals. We got, we're, we're coming in, guys, and we got basketball historian, basketball legend, Mr. Lloyd Gardner, talking about his book, Kentucky Colonel Shots from the Sidelines, here on Triple Threat Talk. Mr. Gardner, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Hey, doing fantastic. I, I want to listen to your show. Oh, thank you. I, I, that really means a lot coming from you. Uh, I, I got to tell you, my, my partner Jimmy and I, um, I, I grew up in a household where your name was commonplace. Like, you know, my dad, I, I think I told you in our brief talk, my dad had pickup games at Bellarmine with some of the Kentucky Colonels, and he told me stories. And it's one of those things that when you see when you see the Kentucky Colonels and you hear how fondly people speak of them, that's when you knew that Kentucky was part of something special. Isn't that right? I, I think Absol- that's an amazing thing. Absolutely. And, I mean, let's, let's also not to mention – uh, synonymous when you think Lloyd Gardner you think the king of the bluegrass tournament one of the biggest high school basketball tournaments in the nation uh, not only you know with the Kentucky Colonels as well so Mr. Gardner it is an honor to talk with you and uh, it's great having you on the show uh, one thing I wanted to ask you uh, I guess to get things started here when you wrote this book here while writing this book uh, what was probably your most memorable moment in regards to the Colonels well, I guess two things come to mind. Of course, the the championship will always be very special, but probably uh, of everything that I talk about, the colonels, I run into people, particularly those who uh, who got to get into the games. You guys are a little young for that, but uh, 
you know, the night that Wendell Ladner went over the water cooler, if everybody was there that tells me they were there the night that Wendell went over the water cooler, we would, Freedom Hall would have needed to hold 50,000 people. <laughs> because everybody brings that up. I, I was there the night Wendell Ladner went over the water cooler. So that's probably the, the one story other than the championship itself that's talked about the most. Um. I want you to tell us, because, you know, in 2011, you guys had the Kentucky Colonels, a real story of a team left behind, and it hit the shelf, and it was immediately a bestseller. T- tell us a little bit about how this book came about, the making of this book, four years after that one became such a huge hit. Well, first of all, the the real story of the team left behind, we interviewed over 50 people, and and I kept diaries. I have, every, I have the scorebook. I have every single lineup sheet from the from the very, very first game the Kentucky Colonels played at home. And uh, so after I wrote the very first book, uh, Mark Gordon, who had been a, a photographer at a very young age for the Colonels, uh, he uh, notified, uh, he got a copy of the book uh, in a North Carolina. A friend of his said, I heard you as a Colonel fan. He went down to the bookstore and got a copy. And uh, he uh, got my number from the Acclaim Press, my publisher, and he called me and he said, Lloyd, he said, I have over 3,000 negatives preserved. So uh, he went through them, uh, looking at the quality of the pictures, how much he could enhance them. Uh, of course, digital is so big today, so the pictures are really fabulous considering we don't have a digital, they're not digital camera taken. But uh, he got it down to 1,000. Together we got it down to 750. I got it down to 500. And I wrote the captions for 489 pictures uh, for the book. Now, there are, uh, in the back of the book, it tells which page each person's on. If, if anybody's in the book, you can look in the back, and it'll tell you what page you're on. Artis and Dan each are in there over 75 times. And Louis in there about 69 times. So I can't just put Dan Issel scored two points, but I was very fortunate. Mark had the data the month and the date of the game for most parts in the year in the folders. Now, if the folder said 71, that could be 70-71 or 71-72. But I went back and got every single lineup sheet out. I matched it up with the players. If I saw a player wasn't on the team at that time, I would know that that was the wrong date. But I had them within a week or two anyway. So uh, I wrote the captions and I wrote things like, if it was a picture of Nissel shooting, I, instead of just putting Nissel shoots for two, I would write something like uh, two of Dan Nissel's game high 34 points as the Kentucky Colonels defeat the New York Nets and Dr. J for the Eastern Division Championship uh, 115 to, to 108 or something like that. So I actually wrote paragraphs and, and stories about a lot of the pictures. We're talking with Lloyd Gardner here on 1450, the Sports Buzz WXVW. Uh, author of the Kentucky Colonel's Shots from the Sidelines. Uh, I believe Trevor had a question for you, Trevor. Well, yeah, I, I, I could ask you, Mr. Gardner, so many questions about players that range from Gilmore to Bert Averett and, and everywhere in between. But the, the first one I'd want to know about, and not necessarily a story, but the how is it like working under a, a coach like Hubie Brown, especially one who was in his first year, first head coaching job, been an assistant, I know, with Milwaukee for a couple of years, but – his first head coaching job in what would be a, a Hall of Fame career and from someone who is a huge Hubie Brown fan. What was it like and uh, any good stories that you can at least share that might be friend, uh, radio friendly? Well, first of all, I, I can't uh, – I work for 
every coach a colonel's ever had, and and Hubie Brown was absolutely fabulous. Uh, I don't think uh, you know we were sixty eight and sixteen the first year we had artists, and at that time was the second best record ever in pro basketball. Of course, Jordan's teams broke. We were about fifth now at sixty eight and sixteen, but. Yeah, damn New Jersey Nets were pulling off that upset in the playoffs. Right, the Nets beat us in the playoffs. Rick Barry and John Rhodes were just uh, played outstanding, and uh, we we just didn't win. That's that's the bottom line. But Hubie came in, and he started working on low-post moves for artists. Uh, I have never in all my life worked with anybody who is as organized, who uh, knows the game as well as he does, who works as hard as he does, who demands people to work. First thing he did when he came in is put a fine system in, which everybody else was afraid to put a fine system in against these guys. He put a fine system in, made people accountable. Uh, to this very day, last week, I got a letter from Hubie, uh, a nice card uh, after the Hall of Fame induction, uh, some great notes. To this day, after 40 years, we talk to each other probably uh, at least once a month. That's that's so, good. Uh, that is good stuff there. Uh, one one thing uh, in going through the book, you know, you, you talked about Dan Insel, you talked about artist Gilmore, but one thing I want to ask you: all the years you were with the Colonels, who would you say is probably one of the most underrated players to ever play there with the Colonels? Well, I, I'm going to start out with Louis Dampier. Every year we drafted guards and. And everybody said this person's going to come in and take Louis Dampier's place. And as we all know, uh, nobody ever came in and took Louis Dampier's place. <laughs> and he was there all nine years. And on September the 11th, I will be at his Hall of Fame induction in Springfield, Illinois, along with my son and my grandson. But other than that, I would say Mike Gale was probably one that was very, very unheralded. And with Hubie came in and he had a 10 man rotation. Uh, you take a guy like Ron Thomas, and, and I don't know how much time we have, but Hubie came in and said everybody uh, is going to get some playing time, and you put yourself in the game. Marv Roberts took Will Jones's place at the small forward. Jim Bradley went in for Dan Issel. Uh, Bert Averett went in for, for Louie. And uh, Gene Littles went in for for uh, Ted McLean. And then Ron Thomas went in the last, two minutes of every quarter except the fourth for artists. So every night, every player knew they was going to be in the game. And I'll tell you a, a story. Uh, when Hubie started doing this, Jimmy O'Brien, who wrote the Sporting News and and uh, started the Street and Smith books uh, out of New York, he was with the New York Daily News, he wrote an article in one of his basketball publications that Hubie Brown's 10-man rotation system would never win in the ABA. Well, he covered the championship on May the 22nd, 1975 in Freedom Hall when we won it, and he's back in the locker room. He has his foot up on the chair and his notepad and his suit on and his tie, and he's interviewing Dan Essel. Dan had a towel around his neck, and and, uh, somebody came in the locker room, opened a briefcase, and put a banana cream pie in his face and turned around and walked out. <laughs> Dan loaned Dan loaned him his towel to wipe his face off. And this picture's in the book. It was Hubie Brown's wife, Claire, for him writing that article that we could never win with 10 players. <laughs> Lloyd, do, do, 
does this team win back-to-back championships with Dan Issel isn't uh, traded, unpopularly traded? And, of course, they end up, you know, Cardinals end up losing to Issel in, the, in seven games in the next year in, the, in, in Denver. Well, I don't think, I, I will never forget it. Uh, we knew all summer that John Y. Brown was going to trade artists or Dan, and and Hubie was sick. Stan Allback, our assistant, a great person, was sick, and, and we were together almost every day in the summer. The day John Y. Brown traded Dan Izzo, the three of us went to the Red Garter Room and sat there, and uh, they had a few beers. I don't drink, but that's okay, uh, and, and, and just, tears in our eyes that he had busted our team up because Hubie Brown will tell you today if the Kentucky Colonels had gone into the ABA, they would have been a challenge for the championship immediately. Um, we're talking... I'm with, not going to argue that. I, I'm not going to argue that at all. No. Not Absolutely all. not, no. Um, we're talking with Lloyd Gardner here on WXVW 1450 The Sports Buzz. Lloyd, I got two observations about this book I want you to hear. I'm a huge college basketball fan. I haven't always been that way. It's been the last 10 years that I've really kind of come into my my sports comings. Um, right. But one of the coolest things for me to see in this book, and I'm going to do a little spoiler alert here, comes on page 79 when you guys put in the box score sheet. And I want to read off some of these names because where you all got this photo and this such – such perfectly good condition is beyond me. I have that. That's my score sheet. Is it your score Everything sheet? in that book is my score sheet. Every every picture in the first book I have. I probably have over 400 pictures. That is awesome. I, I want to read some of these names, and then I've got a question for you. Dan Issel, Artis Gilmore, Louis Dampier, Walt Simon, uh, Joe Hamilton, and then the New York Nets, Julius Irving, Larry Kennan, Willie Sojourner, Mike Gale. I mean, and the list goes on and on. But this is just this this right here is enough to be put in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and this is just a fantastically well kept artifact in this book. And that is that is just an amazingly kept piece. And that I, I just look at this, and I'm you know Jimmy can see me right now. Like I'm looking at this in awe. Like this is this is fantastic. It, it's definitely amazing, and uh, you know it. it, it, it to go through there and just look at the pictures and see the history, and as as Gary alluded to, just the uh, how well pristine, you know, like the scorecard and the photos, it's just amazing. You can basically you can go through the book and you can feel like you're there, feel like you're in the moment, you know, just looking at this story from cover to cover. Uh, it's a great copy. Uh, I know uh, your your folks there. We're gracious enough to give us a copy, but I myself also purchased a copy. It's such a great book. I wanted one for the collection at the house. And uh, if you want to get that book, you can do so at any area local Kroger store for twenty nine ninety nine. So feel free to check that out, Lloyd. It it is a great book, Mister Gardner. That must have that must have been the night Artis got forty rebounds. It- I, I think it was, actually. I'm, I'll look that up while I'm getting to my next question. Um, Were there multiple times when he probably yeah, had 40 I, I, I think, Yeah, it was. It, 40, right there. Yep, 40. We actually got snowed in New York. When we got to airport, we couldn't leave at night. So it was a big night. Sleeping. Go sleeping ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Mr. Gardner, I did want to ask you a question. One of the stories that popped out to me in this book that I thought was just awesome was that Muhammad Ali's luggage not arriving at the game in New York and right. you had to pick it up. You had to pick up his luggage from it's either at halftime or at the end. I can't recall. But it said 
that he was going to give it to the owner. And when she got off the phone, and when she got off the court, she passed you the gloves. And the the book goes on. Th- this has got to be this has got to be a typo in the book. You still have those gloves? I have the gloves, and Ali has signed them. That <laughs> that is amazing. And I have the newspaper article that goes with it. Uh, the night he said that he gave her the gloves, and I have the pictures of Ali giving Ellie the gloves, a color picture, actually. <laughs> that, that is amazing. One of the greatest teams in the ABA, in ABA history, and you have the greatest of all times boxing gloves. That, that, that right there is that's poetry. Absolutely. That, that is amazing. I agree. I mean, it doesn't get no better than <laughs> it that. It doesn't get any better than that. It does not. That. It does not. Lloyd, what, what, where, where on that does top ten, top moments of Lloyd Gardner's life, where is that at? Gosh, I, I don't know. I've just been so blessed. Uh, I have I've been with the championship Kentucky Colonels. I was with the Bourbons, of course, which wasn't. It was a great professional team, and I was honored to be on it. It wasn't as big as the Colonels, of course, but winning a state championship in 1994, uh, just being inducted into the Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame was huge. And, you know, all those are big moments. We live for the moment anyway. And, and I wouldn't put one in front of the other. And I'm just, uh, I'm just so uh, blessed uh, to, to think back that I went to, I went to, the, I worked for the Chicago Bears in the summer and I worked on Gail Sayers' knee. They were filming Brian's song with Billy D. Williams at the time when I was up there and, and Dick Butkus and, and just the opportunities and the doors opened to a guy who was from Fairdale, Kentucky, who wasn't good enough to make the basketball team. My high school coach, coach cut me and said, Lloyd, I'm going to make you a manager. I'm going to send you to Western Kentucky with Ed Diddle. And, and, and the story started right there. Lloyd, I know there's lots of uh, great memories and stories we can talk about. Not only your high school, you mentioned your, your 94 championship but and the Colonels, but one of the one of the, my favorite things about the ABA, other than its innovations in terms of the dunk contest and the three point line, and I'm all for bringing the uh, red, white, and blue ball back to the NBA. No argument for me on that. But another thing is the the halftime shows and the giveaways that teams would do to while tickets were, were easier to come by. You mentioned earlier if everyone says they were in the arena when someone in any event happened, there'd be no, obviously never that many people. A lot of times in an ABA arena. What were some of the uh, the I don't know the the funniest or quirkiest giveaways that you saw not only at, by the Kentucky Colonels themselves but even on the road at other places? Well, there there have been a number of things. I mean, very very early the first year in Teaneck, New Jersey, they're we're up there and they're they're at, during a timeout they're hitting a mallet to put the floor push it back toward the center <laughs> where some boards had worked out. We were in Lafayette, Louisiana, and during timeouts, they turned the lights out because we were in a livestock arena playing an exhibition game, and there were so many <laughs> bugs that they had to turn the lights out to get the bugs to settle down. I mean, you know, the, uh, some of the Wendell Ladder stories are, are just uh, awesome. Uh, uh, some of the things that Wendell did, uh, mostly what he said, it was just a, a unique league. If people just knew... Uh, you know, Rick Mount was an All-American. He really didn't love the game. Uh, Maurice Lucas was probably the only person I that I really didn't like in seven years as a trainer. But it's well, that's just, because uh, he was part of the Dan Issel trade, though, probably. <laughs> well, no, he wasn't part of the trade. Uh, we brought him in, oh, got yeah. rid of Caldwell Jones, but he uh, he kind of destroyed our chemistry. Or we probably would have won another. And he had the attitude of artists and 
and Louie and some of the other people we had. But uh, it's it, it was just a, a fun league. And, I mean, <laughs> there's a promotion one night. They brought Ali in in Pittsburgh for a, a promotion to get people in the stands. The problem was they had him on before the game when Ali's <laughs> exhibition was over. Everybody left the building. <laughs> of course, uh, the girls in bikinis in Florida, the ball girls, uh, if uh, if the game wasn't on TV, they argued you know, who sat down at the end of the bench next to the ball girl in a bikini. It was on TV. If you was married, you couldn't pay a guy to sit down there next to the girl in a bikini. <laughs> and some of the things, you know, I can't tell, but it was uh, – it was just a great part of my life. Mr. Gardner, we want to thank you for your time and coming on our show today to talk a little bit about the book and talk about some of your experiences, sir. Uh, I, I, when, I, when I think about basketball, your name is definitely in the top five that I think of, especially in this state. Uh, you, you've paved the way for younger guys like us, and I just want to thank you for everything you've done and thank you for sharing this little bit of history uh, with us and everybody else who's going to who's gonna be blessed enough to pick up a copy of this book at your local area, Kroger. Well, fellas, I, I would love to invite you to call me sometime and come out and look at my collection. I've got the original score books. I've got, I have uh, those score sheets. Like, I did have three of artists' uh, 40 rebound game score sheets. Uh, I was sort of a pack rat, <laughs> but it, it's all paid off for me. Yeah. Well, Mr. Gardner, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we definitely would love to have you on again real soon to pick your brain some more. We could definitely talk to you for uh, for hours on end. We really appreciate I, it. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'd love to talk to you guys some more, too. All right. But well, you're welcome to call me and come out sometime. All right. Thanks, Lloyd. We thank appreciate you. that. We'll definitely take you up on that, and uh, we appreciate you stopping by. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. All right. That was one, Mr. Lloyd Gardner. Uh, author of the uh, Kentucky Colonels, Shots from the Sidelines. You can pick that up from your local area, Kroger, for only twenty nine ninety nine. Like you said, if you're a basketball fan, a bas- uh, Kentucky basketball historian, you, you're going to love this book. It's, it's amazing. A must. It's, it's, it's a must. must. It's, it's a, a must, must have for your collection. So Absolutely. we're a little late on the break, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little John Calipari uh, right after this. So stay tuned. Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Buzz, WXVW. We'll be right back. Is it possible to two youths? To what? Uh, What was that word? Uh, What word? To what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? <laughs> that is one of the funniest lines from, uh, from that movie, My Cousin Vinny. What what's a you Herman Herman Munster trying to determine the Brooklyn accent of the word youth. <laughs> yeah, youths. <laughs> youths. Oh, that's a fantastic movie. That was a fantastic interview. Absolutely. Uh, welcome back here on Triple Threat Talk, fourteen fifty the sports buzz. Uh, excellent interview by Mr. Lloyd Gardner. I think I could spend the whole show talking that, to that guy. That was picking fantastic. his brain about basketball. I mean, some of the stories that guy's got. Oh, I can only imagine. I, I he could probably fill about twenty million books. Well, maybe not that many, but you know, you can fill a lot of books with the stories that he's got. And it sounds like a lot of pictures didn't make the cut. I know. So he, they might even have a couple more because these things are flying off the shelf. Absolutely. Uh, they they really like our like I went when I was in the Kroger at Goss Avenue, 
by the way, earlier today. We, by the way, this hour, we're giving away this $25 gift card, so have your phones ready uh, to give us a call because we are going to be giving away this uh, this gift card here, and it's 384-1450. So maybe we'll play a little triple threat maybe, top maybe, trivia. Maybe we'll do some trivia. But if you want a shot at this gift card, give us a call. We might put you on the spot. I don't know. We're going to improv a little bit. These things happen. Some of the best things that Jimmy and I have done in our show's history – have been improv. So, you know, maybe maybe we figure out something. As long know. as we don't have people in the audience shouting stuff like, <laughs> like Robin we heard- Williams. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Cosby. Oh. 9-11. Ferguson. Uh, no, stop it. <laughs> Pearl Harbor. Oh, so, I know. That was great. That so, was so great. It was like, let's go to the improv and shout negative things. Uh, I was like, what? They're talking about Ted, too. If you haven't gotten to see it. I think I heard someone say Starbucks. No, no one said Starbucks. Yes, they did. They said Starbucks. <laughs> that was hilarious. No, yeah, no, they, no. They were talking about, but then he said no one said Starbucks in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. No yeah, one yeah. said Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, fantastic stuff. But if you if you're feeling brave enough, absolutely. If, if you're feeling brave, call us three eight four fourteen fifty. We got a twenty five dollar gift card to Kroger. So you know, may, maybe maybe we make you dance in the middle of the street and have us on I, the phone with it. I don't I, know. Well, number one, you can't see them. Well, I mean, I know you're, you're on radio, but it's fun. So how it's would fun you? To think about. How would you know if they were dancing? In we the can street? interpret. We can interpret. It's okay. Are you sure? Yeah, okay. I'm sure. Right. While while we were interviewing Mr. Gardner, Japan did uh, did pull off the victory two one over England. So our fate is set, as is Japan. So we all of, wanted England, and we got the wrong we, one. We got the wrong one. So it's typical. I said Japan. I said yeah, I wanted Tra- to Trevor match. said he wanted oh, Japan. Oh, I thought you said you wanted England. My no, bad. No, no, I said He's I wanted apologies. Match. Sir, my so we got, we got the re- we, want, we want revenge. America. America. We, we want revenge. We want revenge. So. It's not America. I hate when they say America. that. That's so annoying. There's no A. It's America. It's, no, it's no what a. else is annoying? Tricks being marketed to kids only. I wish I haven't had tricks since I was 11. Well, you know, I went to the store today to get some tricks, <laughs> and I asked the lady at the counter, I said, uh, am, am I going to get followed out the door when I buy these? <laughs> you know? <laughs> that was, Talk about the most random thing they could have oh, put in a movie. I know. I know, I mean, right? Ever. Of that, all time. That was great, though. Liam Neeson. Like, how did, how did he get him to do that? That was amazing, right? Maybe he just walked in and went to buy some tricks, and Seth MacFarlane found Do you think they have guys? Like does he well, yeah, have like because, a does he have like a store guy? If, if like he, a guy he, he hires to go pick up his groceries, it could be. I mean, he's well connected. He is very well connected. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that you're just like, you, you know, who else is well connected? John Calipari. John Calipari he's, is well connected. He's pretty well connected. And apparently, he's in Sacramento this week. No, no, no. Oh, if you're if you're Adrian Rodanowski though, you if you're the Woj. The Woj? If you're the Woj, you, wait, you think wait, What did he have to say? So ye- yesterday, Woj breaks this story that uh-huh. it's it's almost sci-fi in appearance. Uh, you know, Cal is being Cal is being probed by the Kings. He's being he's being probed. So when you when you think about that, you're just like when you when you're thinking about being probed, you're like worse things could happen, right? But where are you going with this? This I, is a PG it, show. This is a PG show. Watch it. But, you know, it seems like every summer we have to put up with Calipari's going somewhere. Calipari, you Remember that story of the boy who cried wolf? Yes. Yes. Uh, way to have your finger on the button when you answer <laughs> that question. If you're watching on Periscope, that was hilarious. <laughs> so, but... 
Wow. But, I mean, this is every year. You Eventually, this is going to be like the boy who cried wolf. People are like, well, he wants to coach LeBron or he wants to coach, you know, such and such. He wants to be re- reunited with uh, with Boogie or he wants to be re- reunited with Trill. You know, and people are like, no, the guy is on a kingdom. He's on a he's literally on the throne at UK and someone arguing college basketball. Why would he leave? I don't get it. I mean, here's here's the thing. Okay, John Calipari. Now, you may not agree with his tactics. Right. And what I mean by that is you may not like the fact that he comes out and says, my job is to get players to the NBA. He doesn't say my job is to win a national championship at Kentucky. And he's been criticized yeah. Uh, many a times by this, but look at his track record. But he takes the criticism. He does and, take the criticism, and the kids love it. Absolutely. Clearly. I mean, yeah, they came up just a bit short this past year. Yeah, they've only won one championship in his era, but they're still, even though they've only won one cha- uh, championship, they're still dominant. They're still the top of the food chain. It's we want to beat Kentucky. We want to beat Calipari. We want to beat the guy who's out recruiting the world. The guy that's getting the number one recruiting class year after year, year after year. Uh, but one thing to keep in mind, as the texter points out, one this may happen sooner rather than later. Because if you remember uh, Rick Bettino, uh, he said, I'm not going anywhere. And boom, hello, Boston Celtics. That kind of came out of nowhere. We weren't expecting that. So the Boston Wildcats. Uh, well, that's kind of what he thought. <laughs> he also thought he was going to get Tim Duncan. That's why he left, and that didn't quite work didn't out work either. Out. No, absolutely. So, you know, every year we hear this cycle of John Calipari's going here, John Calipari's going there, and and it and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, the Sacramento Kings have even come out and said, and you know, vehemently denied that they that they've talked to him. He's come out. You know, John Calipari released a statement on Twitter saying, "Look." I'm staying at Kentucky. I am the coach at the University of Kentucky. I'm not going anywhere. How many times does he have to do that, one? And two, I guess my question would be, since it does uh, keep popping up, and I want to go to Trevor real quick, and then I'll get uh, Gary's take here. Trevor, how many times does this have to pop up? Do we believe him, or should we wonder? I always wonder. He's going to believe eventually. You you don't have to believe every every rumor you hear. But you you should be you should be weary that he's going to be leaving sooner than later. See, I I disagree with that, and and here's why. It's like why would the king abdicate his throne when he's on top? You know, I mean, pe- people people think about people think about you no, know, he wants to coach LeBron or he wants to do that. Now I realize, and I'm using a metaphor here. I realize that the man has no trouble at all putting food for his family on the table, but I always make the point. If you go out and coach LeBron, that's great. But does it put food on your table to coach LeBron? No. It puts food on your table to coach. And in the NBA, coaches are irrelevant. I'm sorry. You can think of what you want. Coaches are irrelevant. We proved we saw that this uh this finals when LeBron James pretty much said in the finals, uh, we're not running that play. That play's stupid. Uh, we're gonna do this. So when you got players coaching the coaches team, you know, you might have ego managers like like Phil Jackson out there. But that's all you're going to do in the NBA. One thing to take into account, though, it, it doesn't matter if you don't think he's going anywhere or you don't want to believe it. If if you think that all these rumors are always going to be false, um, money talks. 
money money does a lot of talking. And, uh, you know, we do have a caller on the line, so let's go to Brian now. Uh, next up, Brian, welcome to Triple Threat Talk. How you doing tonight, buddy? Pretty good. W- what's on your mind tonight, Brian? What was that? W- what's on your mind tonight? Well, let me add a couple things to the U.K. thing. Gary, I'm on your, your side as far as, you know, the, the Calipari thing goes. You know, my, my thing has always been when when coaches go to the NBA, it's no longer about the coach. When when you're in college, when it's U.K., it's Calipari's team. When you're at UofL, it's Patino's team, you know, and so on and so forth. Like you were saying a minute ago, in the NBA, it's LeBron's team. It's, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant's team, things like that. The coach, is, as you said, was pretty much irrelevant. And even a couple of years ago when uh, U.K. signed Calipari, Calipari said he wouldn't have left Memphis for any job unless it was the University of Kentucky. He, he loves being at Kentucky. And I just don't see any sense in him leaving there to go uh, to an NBA team. Uh, it's like you said, he's on, on the top of the mountain. So why, why leave that and, you know, go to, you know, whatever NBA team – just because maybe you make a few more more bucks or something that they're throwing at you. So let me ask you this: In saying that, Brian, if you were Calipari and you were in his shoes, would you want to stay at Kentucky, where you have the control? You're, it's going to get run the way you want to run it, or would you go to say the Cavaliers, just throwing a team out there, where you know you're going to make more money? Now the players may not listen to you. But do you think a guy like Calipari would be more respected uh, in the NBA over other coaches? Because, you know, you you see uh, teams all the time where sometimes it's not a matter of if they do what the coach wants. It's if the coach is well-respected a la Greg Popovich at the San Antonio Spurs. I think he has a good thing going because he is well-respected the players respect what Pop has to say, so they're successful. So in saying that, it, it's a balancing act, and if you were in his shoes, would you, would you take the more money and the risk, or were you would you stay where you're worshipped and basically you can have whatever you want whenever you want? I, I would think Kentucky, and you know maybe he would be respected in the NBA, but I always go back, you know, he's, He's tried it before. Same, you know, same thing happened to Rick Pitino at U of L. He he left and had and came back because it just didn't work out. You know, they they've both tried the NBA before. It bombed on them. They came back to college and they're on you know two of the top coaches in all of college basketball. Um, you know, now after leaving the NBA, so you know, to me that UK is the perfect spot for him. He said it was kind of a dream job when he signed there, and I don't see any sense in him taking off, and I don't think he will. But but how many times have we heard a coach over the years say that it was their dream job and then they're gone a couple years later? I mean, can we really read into that? Yeah, it could be his dream job, but we've heard that song and dance before in the past where a coach has said, uh, you know, this is my dream to coach here, or a player would say, this is my dream to play here, you know, Money, money talks, man, and you start clacking them hundreds in somebody's face. Uh, eventually, they're going to start listening. I don't care who you are. Try, try thousands. <laughs> that, mean, that, that, that's true. I mean, it, it's it does come down to the fact, though, of you know, yes, is his coach, but at the same time, 
at, at the same time, are, are can we can we trust Calipari to stay? I, I think we can. I, I think we can because he said when he took this job, he was going to. It, it, and we want to thank you for the call, Brian. Uh, when, when he took this job, he he said he was going to stay at least four years or at least ten years. I mean, so you know, I, right now we're going into year seven, year eight. Something like that, Something yeah. Like I that. mean, he so has been up there a while. We're getting there. Trevor, where are we at? 2010 was his first year. It's his sixth year. Six year, six year. So, okay. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting there. Um, you know, time will tell. But I, I, so far, I trust him. I, we, I trust him. We, we, we shall see. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, we're going to roll along. When we come back, we're going to talk a little NBA free agency, a little D-Wade, little LeBron, and uh, some guy named Kevin Love. All that next. Who's that? Uh, we'll find out. Uh, Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. We'll be right back. Cruising to this song here. I never knew they wrote a song about Kokomo, Indiana. I, it's freaky how we think alike. <laughs> I was going to say a little known fact: this song was made about Kokomo, Indiana, just about ten miles south of good old Indianapolis. Not really, eh, but yeah, it's actually to the north. Is it to the north? I thought it was yeah, south. Northeast. Name uh, what uh, late '80s, early '90s television star was a member of the Beach Boys uh, touring band John as Stamos. well as in this video. Okay. <laughs> this then tell me why I played the Beach Boys coming back. Um. All right. Well, we're talking D Wade. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, we're talking Unibrow, but I don't know what he has to do with the Beach Boys. No, not not, not again. You keep well, going. Kevin Love, maybe. Uh, His father was a part of the Beach Boys. That's right. That's, yeah, you're right. Yeah, hello. I know I'm right. <laughs> uh, I'm right. All right. Le- leave it to Trevor to stump Trevor, us. That's Good fine. job, Trevor. That, Good that job. could have been our trivia question to give away our gift card. We were getting there eventually. Yeah. I mean, sooner or later, we were going to run out of options. There's you, only you so were... many free agents we got on this list to talk about. So we could have took up the whole segment guessing why we played the Beach Boys. Speaking I guess. of segment, the next two are wide open. Feel free to join us on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram Buzz Line. 502-384-1450. 502-384-1450. We value your phone calls, and we got some giveaways. You might get lucky. You might get a $25 gift card, or you might just get a snack pack from Buffalo Wild Wings. Who knows? Well, if they have to talk to you, they won't be lucky. They'll be extra. You're right. They'll be extra lucky. No. It's like crispy or extra crispy. You get be extra lucky. (laughs) That's right. I don't know about that. That's right. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so Kevin Love uh, gets a new contract today. Okay. Not the Los Angeles Lakers. Sorry, Kobe. Oh. I know. You tried. Good try, though. Uh, thanks for playing along. Come back next time. Uh, in, five, five, in five years, yeah, come back. <laughs> five, five years, $110 million to stay with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Is Great it? Scott. <laughs> Marty. <laughs> Well, Is there a reason you brought up a reference there? Back to the Future's on in the studio right now. Oh, I got you. Yes. Okay. 
exactly. I was about to say, and we almost said it at the same time too. <laughs> me and Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> so, are you surprised with the move? I'm not. Uh, uh, you know, when when he opted out, people people tend to freak out when people opt out of contracts. You ever notice that? They do uh, absolutely. Uh, it's because a lot of people don't know the well the the not so well kept <laughs> NBA secret. If you opt out of your contract, that means you're going to sign a new one for more money. And that's what that's what LeBron did or is going to do next year. Well, and, with this new and, new and agreement, the salary cap did. is only going to go up yeah. higher this year yeah. and it's going to go up even higher the following year. So So opt out. Hello. And, you know, sign a new contract. That may, I mean, you know, cuz LeBron next year is going to be going for that 200 million. And he'll probably get it. Yeah, probably get it. I mean, why wouldn't why, he get why it? Why wouldn't you get it? <laughs> I mean, come on. He's the best player in the NBA. That's right. Why would LeBron James not get it? I mean, um, I don't I mean, understand. So, Anthony so, Davis signing that big old $145 million contract for five years. So you, the, the brow. The brow gets paid. That's right. The you brow, know, The brow he, gets paid. Maybe he can finally trim it. Yeah, he's got enough money. You think he named it and gave it a backstory? Uh, maybe he should call it Eugene Levy. Maybe. Maybe right? <laughs> Would that be? Would that be? I got the reference. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's funny because you know, it's going back. People opting out. You know, I talked to a lot of people this week. A lot of Cleveland fans that you know they they finally the bandwagon finally slowed down enough for them to hop on it. You know the kind of fan I'm talking about. Um. Kevin Love and they everybody freaking out, you know, like Kevin Love opted out. Oh no, oh no, oh no. What are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do now? Well, you're gonna wait for him to come to terms with his new contract. He's not going anywhere. He just wants more money. I do the same thing. I don't blame him. I mean, uh, you know, and, and some people were shocked that it was for only 110 million. I'm like, a if you're complaining that it's only 110 million, what kind of money do you have? <laughs> and b. And, and, and he didn't and, even play in the NBA he, finals. He didn't play in the NBA finals. And B, he's a big who has damage to his back yes. and his knee. Exactly. And when you're a big, that that's that's hard to heal from. And look, <laughs> look how long Noel was out. I mean, look how look how long Nerlens was out. Absolutely. I don't think he still played an NBA game. <laughs> well, he has. <laughs> no, he he has, has I'm obviously. teasing. I'm teasing. But no, yeah. I mean, he went quite a while. He, he went quite a while without playing. Another big contract given out. Uh, the Chicago Bulls pay guard Jimmy Butler ninety million dollars over five years. This this one was an interesting one to me. In in speaking of also uh, at least teams that players play on that don't play, you know, also the De- Derrick Rose for the Bulls. I mean. How many games has he not played over the last three or four years? It, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we have enough hands in the studio to and count that out. he still gets paid. Like, he does. How does this happen? Exactly. Like, I want to work. I want to I go into a job, not work, and still get paid. Wouldn't that be great? That would be fantastic. Be, you can sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. I love that. And it's, like, it's like hitting the lottery, but better, because you don't have to buy the ticket. People are, You just got to go in and sign a piece of paper. Speaking of that, did you see the guy? I don't know if you saw this. Uh, a man mistakenly bought the wrong lottery ticket, and he won $25,000. That's a costly mistake. <laughs> I mean, how lucky can you be? I, I mean, right? Well, I mean, you need to go out and buy a couple more. I know, right? On I mean, accident. That was crazy. I saw that. I was like, wow, nice luck. It's like, 
That's like reaching into the pants you just bought and finding a crisp $100 bill or, or 12 of them. That'd, you know? be, that'd be wonderful. That'd be it? fantastic. Absolutely. You sign me up. <laughs> sign me up any day. Both pockets, please. Uh, some other big contract news. Uh, Tyson Chandler, four years, $52 million with the Phoenix Suns. Um, but uh, the bigger news, obviously, is Dwayne Wade still under contract negotiations with the Miami Heat. Uh, do you think D. Wade is going anywhere? Is he sticking around in South Beach, or, or is he uh, departing? It's hard to tell with him. This might be one of those ones where you know you, you opt out or you let your contract expire, and you're just done. Because there's been a lot of him with LeBron lately, and I don't think that's coincidental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're still friends, and you know that connection is still there. Right. So does... LeBron talk him into coming up to Cleveland? Maybe. Trevor, what, what, do, you, what do you think about uh, D-Wade? Do you think he stays? Do you think this is another just dog and pony show and he sticks around at South Beach or will he be moving on? Uh, I think he'll end up back in South Beach mainly because I believe he's going to find out that he opted out just to see if somebody I think was sucker enough to give him a max deal or close to or a lot more money than he probably is going to end up getting. And he's going to realize that he's not going to. More people are going to overpay for some younger talent. And more than likely, if he's going to go somewhere else, it'd be at the point of his career, which is not too far from now, that he's getting a uh, mid-level exception deal, but he's not going to get that. He doesn't want to settle for that right now. He wants to try to get one more nice contract before he actually call, settles for that or calls it a career. Or goes for the, uh, as I mentioned, like the Paul Pierce deals where he just signed today for the $3.5 to go home to L.A. Uh, so I I'd be, wouldn't be shocked if he left uh, Miami. Not to mention if Miami comes back healthy, Gordon Dragic, you put him possibly healthy, and if Bosch can come back from his uh, blood clot issues, I mean, that's a nice trio in the East that can probably make some noise into the playoffs. I, I agree with you. I agree with that. that, that, that uh, wholeheartedly there. So in saying that, if you had to choose, Doc, between uh, if you were starting a team and you had to pick a, we'll say, seasoned veteran, would you take D-Wade or Kobe as of right now, the way they are now? The way they are now, I'm taking yeah. D Wade. Yeah, me too. If you're if you're if you're talking if you're talking just for mentorship though, I'm taking Kobe all day long. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I'd have to go D Wade though. I think D Wade would be the be- the better answer in this uh, in I think this so case. Too. I, I agree, but you know we're t- we're talking all this big money, right? And all these big contracts, right? Right. And, and I and I teased at the beginning of the show. How how would Trevor? How would you like to make six point two million dollars a minute? Um. Okay. <laughs> I see. I think for once, Trevor may not know where we're going with this. Is that a fair assessment? For six point two million, I don't care where you're going with. It. <laughs> I don't even care where you put it. Just give me the money and make sure the check clears first. So, Floyd Mayweather is set to receive two hundred. And $20 million. For those of you keeping track at home, that is $15 million less than what Tim Duncan has made his entire career. NBA career. Amazing, right? Right. $220 million from his May fight with Manny Pacquiao. We broke it down for a 36-minute fight. It averaged out to $6.1 million. Holy cow, wow. That's a lot of money. I mean, really? That that's a lot of gambling he gets to do with that. <laughs> that's insane. How how many minutes worth do you think? I, I think it's cheaper for him to go up to a casino and just wager. I'll I'll put two minutes on black, please. 
you know, twelve point four million right, <laughs> instead yeah. of and just instead of putting it out there, he just he bets in minutes. I mean, why does he keep fighting? Honestly. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't need the money. No, he doesn't need. He's, uh, he, he, he wants his name out there. I mean, yeah, he's paying I mean, a guy a million dollars to read to him for God's sakes. I know. I heard that. That's that's inc- that's insane. <laughs> I mean, but uh, Trevor, would you be able to read to to Floyd Mayweather? W- would you be able to read to him for a million dollars on the level that he deems proficient? I I don't care. I'd read whatever he wants me to read to him. I'd, so like, re- I'd read the, the sentence over and over. Trevor Kelsey is a bleep, bleep, and bleep. <laughs> One million dollars. Can you can you give me the first letter of each of those words? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, maybe Trevor's going to read him "Good Night Moon." <laughs> Good Night Moon. Yeah. Red fish, blue fish, white fish. Yeah. I mean, Cat- I'd probably for for for, for especially for, if you were going to give me a million dollars a minute. I'd be is what uh, what Eddie Murphy had in tra- coming to America as official butt wiper. <laughs> <laughs> Can I use the bathroom on my own today? <laughs> you give me a, now. Get me wrong if you want to use it on your own and give me just a million dollars to take the day off. I'll do it. But <laughs> I mean, it, some of the amounts of money that people make these days. Oh, I know it's, it's insane. Just, I mean, and the whole thing started with David Beckham, I think, going to the Galaxy. They got two hundred fifty million dollars over like five years. Something I think something crazy like that. Yeah, it was nuts. And then, and then the Yankees decided to get in on the action and give ten year contracts. Which I'm sorry, in baseball, that's the stupidest thing you could possibly do. Yeah, uh, especially that, to a pitcher. That that's up there with trying to walk on the sun. It's funny you bring that up on Bobby Bonilla Day. I, well, I mean, you, I think you, you know what Bobby Bonilla Day is, don't you? No, what's that? Today's Bobby Bonilla Day. Okay. Bobby Bonilla, who retired in 2001 when he signed his contract with the Mets, paid him a majority of that contract over a 50-year span. So every day, today, just today, Bobby Bonilla received a check for $1.2 million, and he cashed it from the New York Mets, and he will receive that check every day, I think, until like 2020-something. He retired in 2001, and yet still over the last 14 years since the day he retired, he still every year on July 1st gets a check for $1.2 million. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. Google it. are Are you trying to tell me that the New York Mets still have money? The New York Mets still have money, and that's thanks to the contract... By uh, what was the uh, triangle uh, business guy, Bernie Mar- uh, Benny- Madoff? Yeah. Madoff. He's the one yeah. that gave him the contract. Wow. That's insane. Wow. Uh, and, and, and hearkening back to Mayweather for just a minute. O- only the contract by the St. Louis uh, Spirit guys who got the TV right money from, from the ABA to the NBA all the way up until last year is it's considered the uh, the best contract ever signed in business by Bobby Benia. <laughs> nice. I'd Very say nice. that that's a hard-to-argue fact. Uh, Mayweather's buying a $4.8 million car. Yeah, I heard about that. A, a, and Isn't I know I'm going like to butcher a, a this sport. name. It's a sport. Something. K-O-E-N-I-G-S-E-G-G. And it's a sport, right? Like, I don't know. The, but the conic sport? Only, only three exist okay. in the world. $4.8 million car. Is that the car that was in Fast 7? Mm, no, that thing. It might be though. Actually, that thing was amazing because they they had that. But thing. they destroyed that to crap. I know. It's right? like nothing. There's nothing left of it. I hope. I hope to God that was that, a that was a that mo- car could jump buildings. Yeah, it was amazing. It was great. It was like the Batmobile on steroids. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It was fantastic. It was. Beast. I think one of its biggest attributes was the three letters called CGI. No, I don't believe you. Not at all. No, come on. Everybody knows that the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park were real, Trevor. No, well, they will be in 20 years. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So with that, let's take a quick break. Uh, if you want to get us, do so on the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram Buzzline. 
844-843-1450. When we get back from break, we're going to talk about, about Tiger Woods. He's at it again, but not on the golf course. He's using his putter again. <laughs> oh, no. What, what can only happen with that? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Triple Threat Talk, 1450, the Sports Buzz, WXVW. I have no shame in saying the following. I have no idea what in, what in, what in the hell that was. What was that, Trevor? It was a song called For Love of Money by Queen Latifah off a, the soundtrack of New Jack City. I didn't even know Queen Latifah sang. Oh, yeah. I thought she was just an actress. No, she does it all. Seriously? You had no idea Queen Latifah was a, was a singer before she, she was an she actress? She started off as a singer. Did you know Will Smith did music before he did acting? Yes. Okay, just checking. Yes, I did know uh, that. It's pretty bad. Summertime. Yeah. yeah, well, that was a later song of his. That came out actually after he had already started doing Fresh Prince Bel-Air. I, sorry, I don't listen to a lot of R&B and rap. It's I not mean, on my top I, I don't, five of music genres. I don't either, but, the, I listen but there's to some it, things that not, you know. You know, parents don't, just don't understand. Yeah. Like the the, I know the, that, the theme song. We're not for talking about him, Will Smith. We're talking about Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah mm-hmm. did uh, what was uh, what was her main song? It was like uh, Respect or something like that. R-E-S- that was Aretha Franklin. Yes, but she did a song like uh, similar to that. I uh, forget uh, what it was called now. Unity. That was it. Unity. Uh, yeah. U-N-I-T-Y. U-N-I-T-Y. You ugly. Yeah, yeah. You ugly. The New Jack City was one of the one of the better movies of the late '80s, early '90s. Speaking of movies. Yes. Nick Coffey gets a chance to redeem himself because Spaceballs is coming to a theater near you again. Yes. Trevor, you got to talk about it. You got to tell him. It's really going through the theater? Yeah. yeah uh, they have this thing called the Turner Classic Movie Series. I think it's the 16th of July is when it's coming. And they play like old movies each week. They play a different one. Like one was Jaws, uh, there was Spaceballs, there was other ones. It's pretty neat. They're bringing like older movies back to the theater. For you huh. to check out. Yeah. I'll have to pass that along to him. Yes. Give him a chance. If he's not, I've got the DVD if he wants to borrow it. There you go. Yeah, I've got the D- There are certain DVDs that, that, that you know, people in our generation own, and Spaceball is one of them. I mean, oh, Revenge Michael of the Moore Nerds. DVDs for couch leverage. Wow. They go did, underneath did you my get couch the uh, Revenge of the Nerds the, reference the, in Ted 2? I did. Okay. I did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, Rob, uh, by the way, this is courtesy of our friend Brian Cannon over at OVWmaniaBlogspot.com. Some big news in OVW this week he wanted me to pass along. Uh, For those of you not familiar with our show, we usually try to incorporate a little bit of professional wrestling since especially OVW was a big part in us starting off. So we like to kind of repay them back and give them shout-outs. This Saturday is their monthly Saturday night special, which is kind of like the equivalent to a pay-per-view that you might find from WWE. It's the best 10, 15 bucks you'll spend for entertainment. It really is. It's fantastic. Uh, Rob Conway returns to team up with Danny Davis against Victor Bruiser and Jason Lee, uh, not the actor. Um, and Danny will decide after the match whether to keep the doors open or not uh, because there's been a lot of a lot of speculation of Danny Davis would close the doors at OVW. He's affectionately called the cockroach of professional wrestling because – no matter what you do, 
You can step on him, step on him, step on him. He still lives. So he's re- affectionately called the cockroach of W of of professional wrestling. Danny Davis, you're referring Nightmare yeah, Danny Davis. Na- Nightmare Danny Davis. Who's the first referee to ever be intertwined into a major storyline as well. Yes, he was. Yep. Um, let's see. There was also uh, War Games is a 15-foot-high steel cage. Josh Ashcraft leads the War Machines, Eric Locker, and Big John, and Trevor Steele, plus Adam Revolver against Adam, Adam Wilde, Mitch Huff, the OVW champion, Eddie Diamond, and a partner to be named later, plus much more. The special start time of 7 p.m., and tickets are actually $12 at the door. So you pay 12 bucks, take the family out. They've got popcorn. They've got drinks. They've got it, everything out there. It is 4th of July. Yeah, it is. It's 4th so of gonna July. Make it a little it's going to make a, a little bit tough. A lot of people tough. are going to be out with the but fireworks there, there's and Some the people are scared out. of fireworks, you know? That's there's, true. There's some people don't don't really care about the 4th of July. doesn't as, make as, you a communist. As, <laughs> as, 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 a, as a kid... Does not make you call, a terrorist? Uh, I know, I, as he's referring to earlier uh, with the inside the press box with Nick Coffee, uh, Trevor and Nick were talking and... He's Nick, like, you Nick know, thought he might be labeled a terrorist. Yeah, because he didn't like, you know, the fireworks or whatever. Uh-huh. As a kid, I called them fire farts. I used to say, I, I, I'm scared that of the fire farts. It reminds me of, um, of Joe Dirt. Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always been just a snake and sparkler guy myself. But uh, <laughs> speaking of, just to stay on the, the, the theme of wrestling at the moment, have either of you all uh, been intertwined in watching the new Tough Enough series on, uh, in, on USA with WWE? I have a little bit, yes. Not really into your reality I, television. I I do like reality television. I like Big Brother. I have no idea. I, I, I barely know what that is. I'm I'm kind of thinking. I, I I kind of am keeping up with it just a little bit because hometown hero Michael Hayes has been. But he didn't make the show. Yeah, he didn't. Make, but he's he's been affiliated with it this time around. A couple so. of the guys from OVW, I think, tried to to do it out for it. Did they not? Yeah, a couple people did along with uh along with him. You had um. I think Muhammad Ali Vaez tried. Jamin Olivencia tried. There were uh, several. Yeah, there were yep. several of them that tried over there. Um, I know, you know, having Chris Jericho as one of the judges has really helped because a lot of people, uh, you He's know, the host. The judges are uh, Hogan, Brian, and uh, uh, Paige. One one thing about Jericho that a lot of people don't know, and I think is really cool, what he does for the fans. Yeah, is. Here, like this year and earlier this year, and then last year even, uh, when you haven't seen him on WWE TV, he's actually still kind of been there because when he's not with Fozzie, he's actually came back and done what was called a house show contract. He only wants to come back and wrestle house shows. So Yeah, he did a house show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I read it on Wrestling Inc. That it's pretty awesome. He that, shows up every couple of weeks at a house show. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's awesome. That That's basically... Uh, something you would do strictly for the fans. Yeah. You know, you don't just do that because you want to. That's because, you know, you're doing it for the fans. And if you're I, a wrestling very... fan, his podcast is very entertaining as well. Yeah, his his podcast. I've caught that a few times. You know what else is pretty entertaining? Who's Me? that? Tiger Woods? When, when, you hear, when you hear Tiger Woods, no, Trevor, you're right. not entertaining. Okay, sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I was just taking a guess. I like everything else I did test-wise in school. I was wrong. The, Tiger Woods, apparently, you know, it, the old adage goes, you can't help a tiger change his stripes. A tiger won't change his stripes. And it turns out, he added allegedly, again? allegedly, he's at it again. Um, Daily Mail reporting a story that um, friend and professional golfer colleague, Jason Duffner's wife and Tiger Woods are involved in quote-unquote steamy affair ah so but i the, thought 
I thought maybe you were going to tell me he switched from Perkins waitresses to IHOP waitresses. No, he can't do that without signing a contract. Well, first of all, this isn't him doing the old thing. Last time it was Tiger stepping on his wife to sleep with women. It's not his fault that Jason's not doing it right to, to keep her <laughs> at home on a short leash. No, I, I mean, mean now he, he's not the one stepping on his wife. He's broken up. He's single. Not his fault. He, but no, he this started when he was dating Lindsey Vaughn, though. But my question is yeah, this. Yeah, but she's, she's a cold fish. <laughs> nice because she skis. I like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, she does ski, doesn't she? <laughs> isn't, isn't life funny when it works out in coincidental oh, yeah. ways like that? It's great. Exactly. Exactly. She's a skier. Um, Good for but, her. But who, who, who in their right mind cheats on Lindsey Vaughn? And I think it's it's ex-wife, not his current wife. Not his current wife, no. Yeah. Well, ex-wife. They weren't, they weren't engaged. They weren't engaged. They weren't married. At the same time, it's Lindsay Vaughn. Okay. She's, I mean, last week I made the statement that Alex Morgan was the hottest female on the planet due to all men's secret meeting that we had. Lindsay Vaughn is a very close second. Very close second. I can promise you Tigers probably uh, played the green and threw the rough on a many a beautiful women that just don't have the name Lindsey Vaughn. Really? Uh, oh, yes. Okay. Or are you just saying really because you're amazed at the no, crew? No, I'm, by the I'm, golf I'm, references I used the, for The golf references, that's yeah. right, yeah. That right. was. I, I'm just glad <laughs> to know that uh, you alleging Tiger Woods sleeping with somebody else's wife, or in this case ex-wife, We've now officially entered the realm of TMZ and entertainment. No, this tonight. is a big story. They were talking about ESPN earlier. I mean, this is a big okay, story. So just because ESPN talks about it makes it a major story. No, I mean, I'm just saying that at that at that point, when whenever ESPN starts talking about something, even if even as TMZ like as it is, I mean, ESPN. Hold up, hold up. She's a brunette. Tiger did nothing with this. No way. Unless the unless the carpet doesn't match the drapes, he did not nothing to do with this. Tiger likes the blondes. Well, he likes the blondes, but if somebody that looks like Amanda Duffner comes up. I mean, he's going to say yes, probably. I don't know. Tiger yeah, Tiger can be picky, man. Have you he, seen the photos of her? Uh, Tiger's on the, picky, on the, really? He can be. <laughs> really? really? Tiger Come on, picky. Trevor. He can be picky. Perkins can, waitress, but he, Tiger's picky. Hey, Give me I over. worked at Perkins for a couple days. There's some <laughs> my girls there with me. I, but at the same time, you weren't, you, weren't, you weren't saying, hey, baby, come out here and look at my putter. I, if it worked, I would have said it. <laughs> if, if that's if that's all it took, yeah. Well, at, nine wood, I give you my four wood. You know, whatever. Oh my lord, we we. I tell you what, it, it's went and, downhill and fast. And with that, and, we we're gonna get out of here before we get any further down the drain. Because uh, I still call BS on this though, because I don't think Tiger's do, stepping out with a brunette. I just don't see it. I, I don't see it either. I don't agree. I I, I, I I think this was Gary's. It wouldn't be the first time, attempt. It wouldn't be the first time that TMZ was and, wrong. And but at the same us, time, putting us in the uh, realm of we'll entertainment gossip. We'll, we'll ask John. We'll ask John Ashton about it. TMZ usually is right though. Yeah. They're they're usually spot on a lot of times. Yeah, we shall see. But we it wasn't see. TMZ. You pulled it from Daily, Daily Mail. Mail. Daily give, Mail. Me, give me a break. What Daily is Daily Mail? Exactly. It's a UK point exactly tell this man to get a real <laughs> reference and with that we want to thank lloyd gardner for stopping by awesome stuff there with the kentucky colonels shots from the sidelines book and this for the doc gary lockard i am postmaster Jones jimmy biggers we'll see you next week triple threat talk